Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's turn on the mic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the first things someone said to me this morning when I arrived at church was, Quart, that looks long. <laughs> Hopefully, it won't be as long as my 30-mile bike ride yesterday. Yes, it was grueling, and I am still feeling the pain of it. But I have to say... The process of me writing this preach was a little bit like my bike ride yesterday. There were moments where it was easy and it felt like you were gliding along, but there were other moments where it was really tough, actually. In the scripture that we're looking at today, John 15, there are some quite big questions you could ask. Uh, and it was actually a real challenge grappling with some of them, and at times I almost wanted to give up. <clears throat> but I kept giving myself to it, And I kept looking at it. And you know what? The fruit born from working hard at Scripture and seeing how it applies to us is really beneficial. And I hope you all will be benefited from the fruit of what I've worked at as I've been preparing this. So when we started this series, Do You Know Him? Sam started by reading a quote from R.C. Sproul's website, which I want to read again. The world is in the middle of an identity crisis. That is, it doesn't know the real identity of Jesus. But rather than asking everyone else the best way to know who Jesus really is, is to find out what he says about himself. As for church, we are the answer to this identity crisis. We have spent the last six Sundays working out, or working our way through the seven I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John, in order that we be better equipped to take to the world, to show the world what we already know about Jesus, that he is the light of the world. So, so far we have looked at how Jesus is the bread of heaven. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth and the life. And this morning we're going on to look at John 15 where he says, I am the true vine. God's plan has always been to have a fruitful people across the world who abide in him. We're going to look at three main sections. We're going to look at the bigger picture, the joy of abiding, and the vine dresser and the branches. In a moment, Alex will come and read the scripture to us. But I just want to start by setting the scene. I need you to put yourself in the midst of Jesus' disciples. And imagine what they were feeling at this moment in time. Where this passage of scripture picks up, um, Judas has, had already left the upper room after the Last Supper. He was on his way to betray Jesus. And Jesus was fully aware of this. And Jesus was going to take this time to prepare the remaining disciples for his pending crucifixion, resurrection and subsequent departure to heaven. We know from other scriptures that Jesus was fully aware of what Judas was going to do and that he had already made known to his disciples that he was leaving them. But they didn't really understand this and couldn't make any sense of it. So Jesus and his disciples were heading to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was going to pray his high priestly prayer. Picture the scene. Jesus was leading his closest friends through Jerusalem, out through the vineyards, And it would have been around the start of April. And in Jerusalem, just at this time, 
the vines would have been blossoming, showing signs of the coming harvest. And Jesus might have even taken hold of one of the vine branches as he went to speak to his disciples. His desire was to teach his followers about the most vital relationship they have in their lives, their relationship with Jesus and his Father, and to encourage them that they would no longer enjoy his physical presence, but he will continue to sustain them and nourish them and be with them. So Alex, if you can come up. If everyone can find in their Bibles uh, John 15, uh, and it should come up on the screen as well. Tree vines, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So we're going to start with the section, the bigger picture. So in this passage, we could look at and pick up upon... Ah, I lost my place already. <laughs> okay, so basically, what I want to do is take a moment to zoom out from what we've just looked at. Okay, this is not the first time in the Bible that the vine or the picture of the vine has been used. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was really common that the vine was used as a picture for Israel and what their fruitfulness should be. And I think a great way or a good passage for us to look at for that would be Psalm 80. And in it, it says, You bought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. So Israel, God's chosen people, set apart for him, were referred to as a vine. And God is depicted by the imagery of a vine dresser or a gardener. 
He prepared the ground. He planted the vine. It had deep, strong roots. And it, that, the root system facilitated its growth. And God tended the vine, causing it to grow more. You see, God has always intended to have a fruitful people set apart for him that would fill the world, bearing fruit, being a blessing to all nations and bearing witness to him. If we read on in the psalm, it says, Why then have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine. Here we see that the walls that were protecting the vine have been broken down. God has removed his tending hand, his protection, from the vine. So we have to ask, why? Why would he do this? When we already know what his picture was for. And it's because Israel weren't faithful to him. And therefore they did not bear the fruit that God intended for them. Rather than Israel showing the world who God was, they kept turning to idols of the nations surrounding them and therefore came under the judgment of God and he removed his protection from them. So by zooming out to look at the big picture, we can see God's plan was always for a fruitful people to be set apart from him. And that whole world would be blessed by this people. So if we turn back to John 15 with this knowledge, when Jesus states, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, we see once again this imagery is being brought back. But Jesus, by saying, I am the true vine, is saying, I am the genuine vine. That which Israel was meant to be, that couldn't, didn't fulfill, it actually failed in. It did not bear the fruit God intended. Jesus is the fulfillment of that, or part of the fulfillment of that. And we see Jesus is also saying that the father is the vine dresser, or gardener. So God the Father is keeping his role of tending to the vine. Jesus came and lived the life that Israel couldn't. He lived a life without sin. He fulfilled the law, all of it, and he paid the price for our sin for us by dying on the cross that we may now become branches in the vine, that we may be in him and be part of this plan of reaching the whole world and bearing fruit for his name. It's so important for us as a church to get hold of this big picture. God's great plan, and I know I keep repeating it, but it's so important for us to get, that his great plan for a chosen, fruitful people, bearing witness to his name and spreading his kingdom throughout all the earth, that is still being worked out through Jesus and us. That was his plan A. He's not gone on to plan B because Israel failed. In fact, there isn't really a plan A, there's just God's plan and it's going to happen. So now that we have zoomed out to see the big picture of God's redemptive plan and how this passage fits, let's zoom in more closely onto John 15 and look at this passage in more detail. So we have established that Jesus is declaring himself as the true vine. And now I want to go on to look at something which I think is really important in this passage. And I think it's important because Jesus emphasises it so much. And that's abiding in Jesus, abiding in Christ. He mentions the word abide ten times, if I can count correctly. Which is quite a number, in almost, it's almost once every two verses. It's more than that. So the joy of abiding... The way this passage addresses our relationship with God is to call it abiding or remaining in Christ. 
Therefore, it's really important for us to get a clear understanding of what it means to abide. If Jesus is putting such emphasis on abide in me, abide in my love, abide in my word, and I abide in you, it's really important for us to be clear on what he's saying and teaching us. After all, he goes on to say later on, these words I've spoken to you is that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So this, even though this is a hard process in many ways and difficult what we're looking at, actually it bears the fruit of joy in our lives. That we're, For us to be fully joyful and fully happy, we need to get this. Do we want to be a fully joyful and happy church? Great. Okay, so there are three aspects of abiding that I want to draw on. Because uh, Jesus talks about it in three ways. Firstly, in verses 4 and 5, he says, Abide in me and I in you. I think firstly it's important to recognise that this involves personal relationship. This can be communing with him throughout the day and making sure that we keep... It's almost like keeping one ear fixed on God throughout the day and one ear fixed on what's going on around us. Like, we can walk with him. It says he doesn't leave us or forsake us. He's with us in all things at all times. So we can walk through the day with God. He is with us. We are in the vine, abiding. But also, I think it's really important that we set aside specific time. We come to this again and again, but it's so important to be alone with God, to be alone with Jesus, to to cultivate that relationship. Because... Jesus modelled that for us, didn't he? There were times where he left his disciples and went alone to pray, to be with the Father. He was modelling for us a life for us to live. And we'll get to that later, that Jesus, yeah, he's modelling for us the way to be. And so I think there's an element of we need to be pursuing that personal relationship with him. And also, secondly, I think it's talking about our position in Christ. So we're pictured as a branch attached in a vine. Even though we might not physically see Jesus with us right now, the case or the reality is we are in him. If you picture, uh, you could picture a tree, if you don't know what a vine looks like, or a vine or anything which has branches, you can see if you look all the way around the branch, it is connected all the way around the outsides, all the way through to its inner core. Every single part of it is connected so that the life may flow up through the root system, through the stem, into the branches, and it may bear fruit, and it may grow. Okay? And this is, this is so important, okay, that we get this, that part of our abiding is, this is your position, you are in me, you are clean. Okay? We are in, and the life source that flows through Jesus in us is his life. The Holy Spirit flows through Jesus into us. Secondly, in verse 7, Jesus says, Abide in me, and my words abide in you. The more time I spend with Alex, no rude jokes, please, but the more I become like her. She, I knew you. Um, I found that the way I view certain things changes as I spend time with her. Not everything of me changes to be the same as her, but... Alex was asked, as many of you know, to do a cycle ride with my auntie that is 100 kilometres, 68 miles long. Alex didn't even have a bike. This meant Alex went through the process of Alex getting a bike and the process of me being told you have to do training. 
with her, which I didn't mind. Actually, I'm more experienced on a bike than Alex, and I wanted to make sure that she was safe, and I didn't really want her going out on her own. But let's just say that when you have to cycle to work every day for a job, uh, as part of your job, not for your job, but to get to work, yeah. So when it's raining and it's wet and you have to carry things on your back and it starts off cold and you get really hot halfway there and things like that, you kind of gather off the idea of cycling. Uh, and so for me, cycling was quite low down on my priority list in life. But actually, as I've given time to go cycling with Alex, as I've seen her passion for it, and as I've got to experience it with her and her passion, my heart has changed towards it. And I can't quite believe that I'm saying it, but I actually quite enjoyed the bike ride yesterday. <laughs> and I actually kind of look forward to our bike rides at the weekend. And Alex goes out with, like, went out with Lucy and Carrie during the week, and we often go out with Ian and Carrie together at the weekend. And it's something I look forward to, but it's because of... I, sh I got to share and experience her passion with her, that it changed my heart towards it. And I thought, actually, this is a good thing. And I think this is really helpful and beneficial, yeah, beneficial for us. Because, actually, as we spend time abiding in God's words and in relationship with him, our hearts change to become more like his. And we get excited about the things that excite him. Thirdly, in verse 9 and 10, Jesus says, Abide in my love. I think there are three aspects to this. I think Jesus is saying, Dwell on my love for you. Think of the gospel. Like, abide yourself. Like, spend time focusing on what I have done for you. And the Bible teaches us, doesn't it, that actually the greatest demonstration of love is someone laying their life down for their friends. And actually, we see that Jesus lay his life down for us. Even when we were still sinners and distant from him, he laid down his life for us. And actually, that's so important for us to remember. And actually, I think we find that whenever an issue came up in any of the churches Paul was writing to, his answer was always, the gospel. The gospel, the gospel. And the gospel is the good news. And actually... By dwelling on that, we're dwelling on God's love for us. I believe this is also saying pursue being freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about by being filled with the Spirit, God's love is being poured out in our hearts. So actually, we can dwell on God's, in that, God's love in that way by saying, God, fill me afresh with your Spirit. God, I want to experience your love. I want to spend time experiencing your love. It's more than just a head knowledge we can actually experience the love of God. And if you don't feel like you've ever truly experienced that, I encourage you to ask for people to pray for you for it. Ask to be filled with the Spirit that you may know the love of God in your life. And also, I think we're to abide in his love by being obedient to his commands. As we love one another as I have loved you, we abide in his love. Jesus is saying to fully experience his love, we need to live it out. And then when it becomes a part of us and we're living it out, then we will experience his love as he experienced the Father's love. Now that we've got a clearer understanding, or at least a hope, of what it means to abide, I want to take a moment to look at 
the fruits of abiding. And there's three specific areas I want to pick up on. One is joy. And we've already mentioned this a bit. Obedience isn't meant to be dull. It's not meant to be boring. But it's meant to be joyful. When we do things for people that are closest to us, that we love for most, that we respect, that we are for, it's a joy to do things, isn't it? It kind of can take the chore element out of it. And that, that, and for us as well, we live in, in a sinful, broken world. And that, so we don't fully live in the joy of that. So sometimes, obviously, cleaning the house can feel like a chore, but we can find joy in the thing of doing it to serve someone. So the fact that uh, I was printing out my preach this morning and still wasn't fully happy with it through, and the last few edits to it, Alex was cleaning the house because we had her parents come, we've got her parents coming on this afternoon. Actually, I was really sad that she was doing that on her own, and I wanted to be doing that with her, but she said I do it joyfully because I know that you've got something which you need to change and that you want to edit. And that's the case with God, is we are to be joyful on what we get to do with him. Answered prayer. As we abide in Jesus, our hearts will change and align with his, causing us to desire what he desires and pray according to his words, which is pleasing to him and to the Father. This does not mean that we get instant answers to prayer, but as our prayers align with God's heart, we will see the fruit of them. And finally, fruit-bearing. This is so important. It's evidence of our discipleship. And Jesus says it glorifies the Father. We don't just glorify God in times of praise and worship. But actually, the lives that we live in him, the fruit that we bear, brings glory to God. Have you ever gone to pick up a piece of fruit from a fruit bowl and it's already started to turn? It's gone past its best. And maybe it's even gone fully rotten and mouldy. That's probably more in student houses. Than but the reality is that is a picture of us, of the fruit we have without God. Anything we do, no matter how good it looks like, without Jesus is nothing. It's worthless. It has of no eternal value. Jesus says, anything you do without me is nothing. So no matter how good it looks in the moment, anything that we do without him, it will fade. But when we are abiding in Christ and we are walking with him and the reason we're living is for him, the fruit that we bear will be of eternal value and significance. It will not rot. It will not fade. And I think some of the fruit will look like changing character in our own lives. It'll be so we could look at the fruit of the Spirit and bearing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These things will be growing in us as we're abiding in God and others will see it and it'll be bearing fruit in their lives from the fact that they see it. It'll be bringing benefit to those around us, serving the poor, helping people out. Because actually, by doing these things, by being rooted in God, these things bear good fruit. And it'll be advancing God's kingdom in a broken world. So now I want to move on to look at the vine dresser and the branches. Even the nicest garden needs regular care and attention. 
And I know this all too well as a gardener for my job. But without it, things overgrow. They do not bear the fruit that they should bear. And also, in some cases, they wither and die. Now, we're going to look at the significance of the vine dresser and two different types of branches that he tends to. Within the passage of scripture we looked at, in verse 2, he makes clear that there are two branches. There are the branches that do not bear fruit, and there are the fruitful branches. And the branches that do not bear fruit, he takes away, he cuts out. And it later says they're thrown onto the fire to be burned. And the fruitful branches, he prunes. Whilst preparing for this preach, I spent quite a lot of time at looking at verses 5 and 6, so I'm just going to reread them. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. I found these verses so helpful when looking at this. You can clearly see the unfruitful branches that the Father takes away are people that don't abide in Christ. They are not generally part of the vine, and these branches are thrown into the fire to be burned, which is usually a sign of judgment. Now, I just want to turn to Matthew 7 for a moment, because I found this scripture just added extra light on this as I was working this through. And it says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And I jump to verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this passage affirms, uses similar language, and affirms that there are people in the church that profess to know Christ, but don't actually have genuine personal relationship with him. I think this is what the unfruitful branches are in the metaphor, in the vine. The branches that don't bear fruit are those in the church who have made a superficial commitment to follow Jesus, but don't really know him. This is a hard teaching to hear, and can be very scary. But it's a word of warning. Jesus is after personal relationship with us and with his disciples. And as the passage, put, as the passage puts it in John 15, we are to abide in him and him in us. This is personal. Jesus didn't just die on the cross to forgive us, for that can often be our answer if we're asked. But he died to be in relationship with us, to dwell in us and us in him and for us to have eternal relationship with him. So we've established that the branches that don't bear fruit are people that don't really know Christ personally. Then the meaning for the branches that abide in Jesus and do bear fruit are those in the church that have a personal, saving faith relationship with Jesus. People who live in union with Christ, producing fruit that remains. So the branches in this metaphor are those who claim to be followers of Christ. Then the fruitful ones are those who are in personal relationship with Jesus. And the fruitless branches are those 
that claim to be but don't actually have personal relationship with him. So the father's role as the gardener is to tend to the branches. That is, those who claim to be followers of Christ, he will cut out the fruitless branches that aren't truly in personal relationship with Jesus and put them on on the fire. And this is important, actually, when we think about the image of anything when you're gardening. If something's dead, it's not bearing fruit. You need to cut it out so it makes space for the branches that are fruitful and that are healthy and are, I guess you could almost say, in right relationship, can grow to the size they need to grow to and bear the fruit that they need to bear. Okay, so he cuts out the branches that don't bear fruit, but the branches that do bear fruit, there's still a cutting that happens, but it's a pruning. And this is that we may bear more fruit. Anyone that's a keen gardener or likes to get out in the garden every now and then will know that if you deadhead certain flowers, plants, or shrubs, such as roses, I think are a good example that a lot of people have, this encourages them to keep flowering. It extends the display of fruit that they produce. But deadheading is key to this. And cutting out the dead is key to this. And if you don't do this, they won't fruit as long or as much. And it's especially true when we look at fruit trees and things like that. If we don't prune them properly, they will not bear as good a yield the next year. In fact, the tree can get too big and heavy for itself and cause itself to break. I think it's important that we willingly submit to God's pruning knife. God may be addressing character traits in us, allowing us to go through hard times, but we must remember we grow the most when we are in the hardest place and situations. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say to me, you know what, the time I've grown the most in my relationship with God is when everything in life was great. But we hear testimony again and again of in the hard times is when I've grown the most. Think back to Lucy's testimony the other week when she was saying that if you took what it meant to do supply teaching and looked at that on paper and you looked at who Lucy was and her identity on paper, the two do not go together. But God saw differently and called her to do supply work and she started doing it and you saw the joy and her being overwhelmed when she was talking about it and giving her testimony that, wow, actually... From the moment I walked into the classroom, God was with me and everything just fell into place. And where usually I'd be so uncomfortable and freeze up, actually, it was very natural. And that doesn't mean she hasn't had tough moments in it, I imagine. (laughs) Shaking her head. But she's growing and the evidence of that is the fruit that it's bearing. Just this week, I was praying again a dangerous prayer. I was praying, God, I... I do want to submit to your pruning life. And that very day, I found myself in a situation where I was doing something, uh, and one person liked what I was doing, and another person hated what I was doing, and came out effing and blinding, shouting at me, like, what the heck are you doing? And then started shouting at the other person. In all honesty, it was quite abusive. 
and I could have been abusive back, but this was all fresh in my mind, and the fact that I just prayed, God, be pruning me. And I choose, chose to respond in love, in peace, in patience, and just really took the time just to, I guess not that I had a choice to listen, but to listen to what the person was saying, and then just explain why I was doing what I was doing, and I'm sorry if you don't understand why I'm doing it, but this is what I've been asked to do, and it's what I have to do. But maybe we can look at a way forwards. And actually, I think responding in that bore more witness and showed more of God than me turning around and having a go at them and trying to make them feel like nothing. So this morning, we've seen how God's plan has always been to have a fruitful people across the world who abide in him, who remain in him and draw their life from him. And we also have seen that as we obey him, that is part of our abiding. And actually his intention is that that is joyful. And as we do that through the position of realising that he is in us, as we are shaped by his word and pruned, this is a joyful thing. So if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you are now in him and part of the outworking of this plan. Jesus says to you, this is from verse 16 on John 15, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So the question is, do you know him? If a worship leader, uh, Ian, would like to come back up in the band, uh, we'll spend the next bit of time praising God and worshipping him.